this title, although there were some efforts to promote it, really, really struggled to gain significant traction. And I think we have to call it out. That has to do with the fact that in a title where we have a very diverse cast, we didn't see too many stars or the director show up and put in the time to do Spanish language US media on either of these networks. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, and I am joined by the mighty triumvirate from Box Office Pro, editorial director Daniel Aria, deputy editor Rebecca Polly, and chief analyst Sean Robbins. And this week we are going to talk about what happened, or perhaps more importantly, what did not happen with the big screen musical In the Heights, which did not quite perform up to expectations box office-wise. We'll talk about a handful of other movies that are out, and because we are at the midpoint of 2021, we're going to look back on the years so far to discuss where things have been and maybe check some predictions with Sean to see where we might go box office-wise by the end of the year. We will also talk about some of our favorite movie events from 2021 and look forward to things we're expecting in the back half of the year. And I promise that I will only talk about Dune a little bit. So first off, let's go to Daniel and talk about what we saw at the box office this past weekend. So it's uh, definitely a bit of a mixed bag at the box office this weekend. Uh, we start with the number one title being the third weekend of A Quiet Place Part 2, which performed with $12 million from just over 3,500 screens. It becomes the first title in the pandemic to cross the $100 million mark at the box office here in North America. Of course, as we just teased a second ago, the big disappointment here is In the Heights from Warner Brothers that opened day and date with the streaming service. It opened to 11.5 million from just under 3,500 screens. And in third place, we had the sophomore frame of The Conjuring, Devil Made Me Do It, with 10.3 million from just over 3,200 screens. Fourth place, another bit of a disappointment here with Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, which did have theatrical exclusivity. That opened in fourth place with 10.1 million from 3,346 screens. A lot to unpack. Let's start with a big surprise at the front of everyone's mind. Sean, just how much of a disappointment is this opening weekend for In the Heights? You know, it's tough to quantify except to just compare it to what the expectations were because I think we have to start by looking at the history of musicals. And coming into this, I think we all knew that sometimes these things can hit when they're just not expected to, and then other times they can really misfire. And I'm thinking back on movies like Rock of Ages, which was about 10 years ago, so it's kind of an old comparison at this point, but it was a summer musical that came out and just had the star power and didn't perform. This was a little bit of a different beast. It didn't have you know, selling points of A-list actors, so-called. It was basically sold on the fact that it's made by Lin-Manuel Miranda and that it was going to be the first kind of bright, joyful return to movie theaters during the, you know, the vaccination era of the pandemic. And that really changed its entire, I think, appeal from what it might have been last summer had 2020 never happened in the way that it unfolded. But... You know, ultimately what this came down to was a lot of hype, uh, both from within the industry and I think from fans on social media. And we saw that kind of bear out in pre-sales, which in some markets were 
pretty close to the same level as Cruella and The Conjuring, slightly different movies, but that's part of the trouble. We have very few comparison points right now, given the state of the market. Uh, and then after that happened, the problem is that not really many other people showed up. And I think there's a lot to discuss there as to what caused that and why and whether or not HBO Max played as significant a role in it as some people might think. I think that's highly debatable personally. I'm looking forward to hearing your guys' opinions on it. Rebecca, what's your take? I can only speak anecdotally here. I was able to uh, have a gathering with some friends this weekend. Very nice, very lovely. Speaking about In the Heights, and pretty much everyone I spoke to except for one person saw it on HBO Max. And granted, that's a very small sample size, but I think there could be a perception perhaps that this not being a big budget superhero type film, maybe it's a better fit for watching on the small screen. That said, Sean, as you note, I think there's a lot to be skeptical of when it comes to just attributing In the Heights' low grows to HBO Max, because we don't know how many people saw it on HBO Max, because we have no access to those numbers. So it's difficult, if not impossible, to say. There are two things that I do want to bring up, and one is there have been discussions of the way the film was marketed externally by Warner Brothers, and whether or not they put out the effort as a studio to reach an audience that might have embraced the movie and that obviously did not show up. So there's that. And then the other thing that comes to mind when Sean's talking about the way that musicals perform overall, there is also kind of the outlier, which I think would be represented by a film like The Greatest Showman, mm -hmm. which granted opened in a very different frame. Has It had January all to itself, no competition to get that great uh, right. buildup that it had. Exactly. But it was a movie that was pegged as, you know, not unlike In the Heights. It was a big experience. It was an extravaganza. It was kind of energetic and joyful and all those sort of things. Totally failed to find an audience in its first weeks. Has gone on to become a reliable performer, to be a strong repertory programmer. Something that you see, you know, playing on big screens all over the country multiple times a year. So not a traditional success, but it did well and it did well over time. And I wonder if something like that might be what we will end up seeing from In the Heights down the road over the next three to six months. Sean, do you think it could grab that toehold given how many other major movies are coming out over the next few months? It's tough to say. I think the chances of that are diminished partly because we're now at the end of this period where one big movie is coming out every couple of weeks. That's about to change in a hurry once we hit July. It gets a breather this week with the only major title being Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. But then you get into Fast 9, then you get into Purge and Boss Baby and Black Widow and just every week after that. So it's going to really need those audiences to show up because what it will lose after two weekends will be all of these premium screens that it has complete access to right now. So that will be the first challenge. And I think you know it goes without saying the other challenge, as you've already talked about, is that there are people watching this movie on HBO Max. Looking back at other Warner Brothers movies that have opened during the pandemic, we saw most of them actually exceed expectations of the box office despite streaming day and date. You know, this wasn't a matter of the movie missing projections by 10 or 20 percent. In the Heights came in nearly 50 percent below even conservative models. So to me, that suggests this isn't just people watching it at home. This is just a lot of people that might not be watching it anywhere. But I think that'll change, and this is one of the evolutions we have to watch for with hybrid releases. And I think that's a great point, and it builds on something that Ross introduced a second ago. The wide appeal or the marketing effort behind this movie. We know that in English language media, 
There was that Academy Awards commercial. There were great appearances in all of the talk shows. We hear a lot about the power of diverse audiences. We hear a lot about Latin American audiences being over-indexed when it comes to movie going. I can tell you unequivocally, in Spanish language media, this movie really, really didn't get any traction. And I think that going into it in a little bit of detail, in explaining what that demographic means uh, for a title like In the Heights, which has to do with a big Latin American cast, a potentially a big Latin American audience, there is a difference when we talk about U.S. audiences and U.S. demographics between a Latin American audience in the U.S., and a Latin audience that isn't Latin slash American in the U.S. in the same way that there is a big difference between an Asian audience living in the U.S. and an Asian slash American audience in the U.S., right? The performance or demographics of certain titles for Chinese audiences living in the U.S. are going to be very different than the appeal of Chinese Americans living in the U.S. The big difference between that Latin, Latin American, and Asian and Asian American divide that we have here is that with Latin American audiences, we do have something as close to a monoculture in U.S. media, and that's Spanish-language U.S. television. There are two networks that dominate Spanish-language television in the United States in a way that there is almost no equivalent in English-language media. That's uh, Univision and Telemundo. That is CNN, Fox News, New York Times, Washington Post, every blog you can imagine. All of that rolled up into one is really the influence that Spanish-language U.S. media has within Spanish speakers and Latin Americans in the United States, whether you are slash American or originally from Latin America and living here. This title, although there were some efforts to promote it, really, really struggled to gain significant traction. And I think we have to call it out. That has to do with the fact that in a title where we have a very diverse cast, we didn't see too many stars or the director show up and put in the time to do Spanish language, U.S. media on either of these networks. And I'm specifically talking about folks like director John Chu, like star Anthony Ramos, that went on every English language outlet I can imagine and said how this is a great opportunity for Latin American representation, but somehow couldn't find the time to show up to these two Spanish language networks to promote the title. Lin-Manuel Miranda carried this in all media appearances in Spanish on his back. And we just didn't see the same commitment from other folks when it came to marketing it in the community. You wonder how Warner Brothers missed that trick, first off. And then secondly, you also kind of wonder what this means for the other big budget movie musicals coming out this year. We have Dear Evan Hansen in September, and then in December we have West Side Story. Obviously different demographics, vastly different plots, different creatives, different networks. But I do think, you know, for the majority of the population, movie musical quote-unquote, means one thing. Sean, does the performance of In the Heights change your thoughts about the potential performance of some of those movies going forward? I think it definitely brings up a lot of questions, and it's it's worth you know asking if there's any additional risk. I do think those are two very different movies with target audiences. Let's just start with Evan Hansen. I think that's aiming for a primarily young audience, which is counter to what In the Heights and most musicals usually aim for, which is 
over 25, probably over 35, I would say, close to the majority. I think in Evan Hansen's case, it's really a little bit trickier to call. Then I do kind of look at West Side Story, and you know that has Spielberg, which already is going to attract some people. It's going to be at the heart of award season and during the holidays, at which point we'll kind of hopefully be at this level where we're talking less about audiences being cautious going back, because that's another element to consider, is that In the Heights drew a primarily female audience over 30 to 35. And we've seen in multiple surveys in the last few months, that is the audience that remains the most cautious going back to movies right now. And we saw the risk of that play out within the Heights because when that audience doesn't show up, in addition to everything else you guys have talked about, and especially I I agree with a lot of Daniel's points too, that was a key audience that isn't there right now. And maybe they would have been in six months. It's, and we'll never know for sure, but. Sean, I have to be very upfront about this. I think that audience, at least from the Latin American demographics would have gone had the stars and creatives put the effort to promote it in Spanish language media. I mean, it it is an incredibly large blunder, in my opinion, that they just couldn't find the time to even do the appearances in English in Spanish language media. You just can't, there's a big difference here, I think, between lip service about diversity and commitment to put in the time and put in the effort to sell a movie. If you look among the Latin American audiences, someone like Will Smith, who doesn't speak a lick of Spanish, is embraced because that guy puts in the time in every single press junket to show up in these shows, to show up in these Spanish language networks and sell his movies. Really, outside of Lin-Manuel Miranda, we saw a very, very limited effort from the principals to get this into the regular culture for Spanish-speaking audiences in the U.S. So it's a, it's a lesson learned for West Side Story, which also has a diverse cast. Steven Spielberg had better be booking those Telemundo and Univision appearances <laughs> now. And I, part of me wonders, does the pandemic have anything to do with this lack of marketing muscle? Or are we at a point where this was just a marketing blunder by the studio? I don't have the answer to that. I'm, I mean, I, I really wonder if, if maybe that effort would have been there you know, under normal circumstances. Well, what happened with Peter Rabbit as well? Because that's another one that we've been (laughs) touting uh, week after week, the power, particularly the staying power of family films. We've seen Crudes have incredibly strong legs. We've seen Tom and Jerry open stronger than I think anyone expected it to, even though that went day and day. What happened here with Peter Rabbit too? Because that one, that one shocked me as well, Sean. Yeah, that one's that one's even as much as an oddball, I would think, in some ways, because we there haven't been many family movies, so it just seemed really well positioned to do better than it did. Maybe it speaks to the fact that the the first movie overperformed, which it did when it came out. It was kind of a surprise hit, and you know, once we saw the sequel come out in the United Kingdom uh, earlier this year and Australia, both where it did really well, it was actually the second highest opening in the UK outside of Tenet during this time, but that didn't translate here. For whatever reasons, I think at this point, we just kind of have to see some more family movies come out and get a feel and retroactively analyze that one because, you know, as far as theatrically exclusive family movies go, they're really rare at the moment. And again, that'll eventually start to change, but not as soon as, as others because Boss Baby will be a hybrid release. Mm-hmm. Uh, really you have Hotel, Hotel Transylvania, Transylvania 4, That's the which next is big one. exclusive. Yeah. That'll be an important one to watch, and hopefully it, it's able to, also from Sony, hopefully it's able to uh, conjure up more families, I think, than Peter Rabbit did. But on the plus side, maybe this is a movie that does stick around for a while because it has all summer to play and, again, not a whole lot of competition in terms of only being available in theaters. Was that a conjuring pun? Nice. Want- yeah, unintentional. 
I wonder about uh, I wonder about two things. Number one, Peter Rabbit feels like an old movie. Peter Rabbit was a planned pre-pandemic release. It was pushed back. It was pushed multiple times. It's been moved around. Ten release date changes total. Ten. Yes. And so I'd be very curious to see what happens with, as you say, uh, Hotel Transylvania 4 versus Peter Rabbit because Hotel Transylvania 4 only just began promotion. That final title was only released like six weeks ago. So it feels like a new movie, which Peter Rabbit has not. Does that affect the market? You know, I don't have scientific data to back this up, but I wonder. I also wonder about the fact that Peter Rabbit comes out on a weekend that was, while it was really hot in a lot of areas, it was nice. There have been weeks of rain. There's been a pandemic. People haven't been able to travel. Oh, I, I was picnicking. I wasn't going to a movie theater. I was out having a picnic. <laughs> and so of all of the weekends to release a family movie, I think this past weekend turned out to be a uniquely bad one. Because suddenly you've got the opportunity, you know, school's out. There's the opportunity for people to travel, to get outside, to do stuff that they haven't had the opportunity to do in over a year. And I think a lot of families very likely took that opportunity. And so, you know, does it matter in the end? Not really. But I do wonder if it's a unique scenario that hit Peter Rabbit uh, particularly hard. I mean, if that's the case, it follows then that once everyone's kind of gotten those initial, I want to travel, I want to go see person X, I want to go see person Y, you know, once that's out of their system, maybe week two, week three, week four, the families say, oh God, I, I'm i back to being bored at home again. I guess we'll go see Peter Rabbit too. Yeah. Like Sean says, you know, it's got all summer to play. And so if, if we see it playing over the next couple of weeks, it's probably never going to play to the sort of numbers that a strong opening weekend would have generated, but maybe it's going to stick around. This could be the greatest showman <laughs> that, that it doesn't look like the, in the Heights is, yeah, it could, I think is going maybe to be. This is kind of what's in the exactly what Russ said, I think is something that has to be factored into do any movie coming out that's targeting a younger family demographic because, you know, we're going to see Luca release on streaming this this weekend. So that's why Peter Rabbit was moved back from the Father's Day release to this past weekend. And, you know, we'll see Boss Baby go hybrid. I do. Th I think that's a great point to bring up because we have to allow some grace period for people that want to go back to the movies, but maybe they have other priorities of, you know, maybe taking a summer vacation, going to see family they haven't seen in a year and a half, and then they'll get back to the movies. That's part of the Wild West aspect out of all of this right now. And really building on, on what you guys are saying, we've seen family titles have legs, you know, during this pandemic. A big question mark that we still have to settle is how does word of mouth work when it comes to a shorter exclusivity or no exclusivity window, right? So if taking Rebecca's anecdotal example of In the Heights, if a movie has good word of mouth and it's available to freely watch online the next day, I think that changes the immediacy and the equation of how you watch it, right? And again, I hate to, to draw so much on anecdotes, but on a personal level, I am very excited and have been very much looking forward to watching Barry Jenkins' Underground Railroad a miniseries on Amazon Prime. I cannot wait to see it. It was released a month ago, and I am in no rush to watch it because I can watch this 10-hour drama anytime I want, whenever I can make the time for it. Without that episodic nature, without that event nature, in me engaging with media, it's really gonna happen on my own time 
And it completely changes my engagement and my perspective on when and how I watch content. I think this is going to be a big factor for all of us in the industry to understand in the coming weeks. How does that shorter window or lack of exclusivity impact the power of word of mouth? Well, and it only will be on HBO Max for a month, which, I mean, it's something that we're well aware of, but, you know, I, I don't flick around HBO Max too much. I'm not sure if that's known generally that if you want to watch it, you only have four weeks and then you do have to go to the theater. I'll be interested to see what happens at that four-week mark. That's communicated within the app, certainly, but I don't know the degree to which that actually penetrates awareness, you know? And with respect to what Daniel's saying, we even see that with other streaming episodic series. I think Marvel has been very smart by putting shows like WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki as episodic releases. So they hit once a week instead of dumping them all at once. Same thing with something like HBO Max and Mare of Easttown. You know, if Mare of Easttown had just hit all seven episodes at one time, people would have talked about it for a week and then it would have been over. People would have moved on. And instead, it had almost two months of conversation. Same thing with the Marvel shows. That extends to, you know, single theatrical or, you know, hybrid features that also go to streaming. You get a week. And once it's on streaming, because there's so much other stuff also on streaming, people necessarily move on. There's only so much bandwidth. There's only so many you know, things that any given outlet can write about. And we talk, keep on talking about this model really pushing wide theatrical releases to events, right? Eventizing that theatrical release. And that's why we have to bring up marketing and how these releases are eventized for a trip to go to the movies. In many ways, uh, it looks like the industry still has to catch up on how to create an event out of something that doesn't have someone walking around in a cape. And I think Paramount did well with that. You look at some of the events happening around A Quiet Place Part 2, and I think director John Krasinski probably racked up some frequent flyer miles on that one. I mean, he was going to theaters, he was doing in-person appearances, and as you mentioned earlier, Daniel, uh, that is now the first 100 million domestic title to come out since March of 2020. And on a related note, looking at where we are here in the box office, and we're dedicating so much time to In the Heights, really, because it's something that I guess we all expected. We've seen titles perform okay. We've seen titles struggle because there's a pandemic and theaters are closed. But now, for the first time, In the Heights is the first example of a title that disappoints, outright disappoints. It was going to happen at a certain point. But let's step back from that disappointment from In the Heights and look at the big picture. Sean, earlier this year, we heard in the latest conference call uh, with investors from AMC the number of $5 billion in domestic box office for 2021 as a benchmark that the circuit is looking at to gauge where the recovery is. As we begin the second half of 2021, how close are we to that benchmark? Is it realistic for us to hit that $5 billion? So we're currently around $800 million right now. By the end of this month, that should be peaking over... 900 million, give or take a little bit. We then hit that release schedule that we've we've talked about forever of an event movie every weekend. We get into fall where you have a number of tent poles that don't usually release so close together like Bond and Russ's Dune and a number of other movies. And then you get into this really crowded holiday season. The question is, especially now that studios can see how the summer box office is playing out, how many of those movies stay where they're at? How many move? 
And how long does it take for more audiences to come back? I mean, this could be a protracted process, and it's really tough to say. I think $5 billion is achievable. I wouldn't say that we should really commit to that being an expectation yet. Our own internal if we, forecasts. If we don't hit that, it's not the end of the world. Right. It's not, oh my God, the industry's dead. Not at all. I think a more realistic goal, and maybe it's being too conservative, but I think something like $4 billion is is more realistic even once we get into that busier time frame because there's there's just no telling what some of these movies might perform in terms of, of will they perform differently because they have shorter windows or or will there finally be this pent up demand for the James Bonds and even for the Black Widows that are hybrid releases we haven't entered those true stress tests yet we've seen some previews of them and we're going to see another one with with F9 very soon, but we need to get into those films that really have the the highest ceiling of potential, and we haven't gotten there yet. With that in mind, what are all of your biggest takeaways from 2021 so far? Uh, Daniel, I'll go to you first. I think I'm going to have to echo what AMC CEO Adam Aaron said in their last uh, conference call with investors, that the Recovery of the cinema effort is directly tied to the progress of the vaccination effort, not only here in the United States, but around the world. These big studio tent poles rely incredibly on the performance of overseas markets. And if Europe is lagging behind, well, those movies aren't going to be as uh, willing to jump the gun and fight to get in a little bit earlier, even if the US is progressing on a positive level. Same thing with Latin America. Disney performs very, very well in Latin America. It's a region where the vaccine progress is really lagging behind. So for me, the conversation about box office really has a big asterisk until the conversation around the vaccine can get a little bit better defined. And unfortunately, even though things in the U.S. are improving, we're still very much far behind around the world. Rebecca, what are you thinking? Goodness, I, I just I would echo what Daniel says and just and just reiterate here that it, this these last few months have really hit home for me. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Again, just in terms of anecdotally, you know, I'm seeing and hearing people I know every day saying, "Oh, I've been back to the movies for the first time." That spread over months. Everyone has their own individual comfort level with what they're willing to do, whether it's flying or going to the movie theater or getting back on mass transit, and there's only so much control uh, the theatrical industry, the film industry in general, has over that. I mean, you could put out F9 tomorrow and, and there would still be a lot of people who wouldn't be comfortable going. And that's even before you get into the international equation, which is, you know, as Daniel mentioned, that's a huge part of it. How about you, Sean? What are you thinking? I think really building on on what you've both just said, we've talked a very long time about this being an ebb and flow process. And that's always been true. Before the pandemic, the box office had its high points. It had its low points. Movie going sometimes is a priority for a lot of people. And then other times it takes a backseat to whatever else they have going on in their lives. And that's especially true right now. We'll see more ebbs and flows. We're going to see some you know, some surprising weekends. We got kind of used to them over the last few months and a little bit of a reality check followed this weekend. And I think that's necessary. I mean, it, it it's not fair that it happens to any movie, I think on a creative or a financial level, but it was inevitable that something like this would happen. And I, I think that speaks to the grand scheme of, of how we need to approach the rest of this year, 
probably even into early next year. Because as you mentioned, we North America can be completely recovered or near completely recovered by this time of next year. That doesn't mean every major market in the world will be at the same point. So this is this weekend is a microcosm of a lesson learned within the greater part of this industry recovery that's taking place around the world. Russ, anything to add on that? Yeah, you know, I think that you guys have made a lot of great points and I agree with all of them. The marathon, not a sprint overview is, I think, especially important. Cautiously, I feel like one of the big takeaways from this year so far is that the day and date release pattern does not have to be disastrous. Now, would Warner Brothers' plan have worked differently if they were not the only major studio that was putting product into theaters on weekends when films like Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, The Conjuring, some of these other movies came out? Maybe, but they were. They were functionally the only big studio who's really putting stuff out at the time. Did those movies do what they would have done in a regular time? No, but they did well and it's interesting. So I'm very curious to see what happens over the back half of the year and to see whether In the Heights turns out to be more of of an indictment of HBO Max windowing system or if it is an outlier that could perhaps be pegged to a failure of marketing. I think seeing wh- where the next Warner Brothers releases go might tell us a lot and I'm really curious, <clears throat> Dune, to see what happens before the end of the year. The other thing that does make me optimistic is that you know, in my own life I am still tied to, despite the fact that I haven't been living in LA for the last year, I'm still tied to a lot of communities there and what I see there on the independent front is show selling out like crazy. Like the theaters that have opened, like the New Beverly and a handful of others, literally can't keep tickets available for more than a few minutes. Everything is selling out. And I hope that that is indicative of a healthy appetite to return to the movies that's going to remain and that is going to develop and hopefully is not going to frustrate people who can't get tickets to stuff quickly. But obviously that's a small population size, but it is interesting to me, and it does give me some optimism for what we might see in the back half of the year. On that subject, Russ and Sean and Daniel as well, you know, what are we looking forward to for the back half of 2021, both just from our own, you know, personal tastes or ones that you think are are going to be interesting or interesting case studies from a business slash box office perspective? You know, the interesting thing is looking at the release schedule for the rest of this year, you could see this many big releases over the course of 12 months rather than six in a lot of normal years. There's a lot of stuff coming out. I'm curious to see what gets lost and whether or not it has anything to do with factors that can be quantified because there's just so much that's hitting. I'm curious to see how many things become like really niche performers because they end up playing to a a relatively small audience. I mean, movies cannibalizing each other has definitely been a concern as the calendar gets crowded. I mean, there's only so far you can push some things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, beyond my obvious interests, you know, movies like Dune, Halloween Kills, Candyman, stuff like that, I'm curious to see how Bond performs, especially in light of the Amazon deal, because I wonder if one thing is going to have much of an effect on the other. I'm curious about West Side Story. You know, can Spielberg really make tackling that musical play? You know, things like that are are really interesting to me. Top Gun Maverick, what is that going to do? Is the audience really going to be there for that? And then also The Many Saints of Newark, strange Sopranos prequel effort. Is that going to play theatrically? You know, what kind of audience is that going to find? I have no idea, but those are questions uh, I'm eager to see answered. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see. We have, you know, in terms of specific films, Candyman, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. You know, I, I enjoy his films, and he's been a big supporter of, of the theatrical experience. But we have Cannes coming up, and, and I'm just excited to see the result of the festival circuit coming back. And, I, I you know, I'm excited to see what those kind of more niche independent films are going to be that we don't even know about yet. That's uh, Absolutely. That's what I'm looking yeah. forward to. I mean, there's a new Leo Carrad movie that is a musical that, you know, will almost certainly be the thing that I am number one most excited to see. Give me a time when I can see it and I will I will hopefully be there. Jesus. So many musicals. I love it. I love it. Every two years, it's like the year of musicals and then it never mm. quite happens. But maybe this will be the year that it really does. Sean, what about uh, what are you looking forward to? From the industry business side of it, I I echo a lot of what's already been said. And I would just add that we still have to remember a lot of these movies that are going to be coming out in the next six to eight months were movies that were supposed to come out last year. And before last year, we were forecasting that not just us, a lot of people expected it to be a down year at the box office because of the content that was going to be out there. A lot of franchises that have become dated, maybe some that don't have as wide of appeal. And we had just gotten so used to Endgame and Avengers and Disney. Let's just say Disney. Star Wars has just gravitated to TV at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So that will be interesting to me to watch in the months ahead. I'm very interested in how Bond performs and and Top Gun, like Russ mentioned. On a personal level, I'm really looking forward to Christmas because of Spider-Man. I'm really hoping that stays there because, like, biased, I can't wait to see it. I know a few things about it I wish I didn't, thanks to the internet. It sounds like it'll be an exciting Marvel movie. But I think it'll also probably be the apex of the box office this year. I mean, I really, you know, knock on wood, things don't take a turn for the worse in the fall. That's the point I look at on the calendar when I I can most likely see maybe not a 100% return to normal, but the closest we'll probably get all year to normalcy at the box office. I'm trying to be optimistic here. I think we've spent a year and a half trying to be optimistic and it's worked to some extent, but clearly once again, we will say it's a marathon, not a sprint and the recovery is going to take time and effort and dedicated perseverance by all involved. So thank you all again for joining us. It was wonderful to talk to Daniel, Sean, Rebecca again, and uh, glad to have you all listening. We will be back next week with a new episode and hopefully slightly better weekend box office returns. Thanks and take care.